I got my peaches out in Georgia. Oh yeah. I get my weed from California. That's that. I took my chick up to the north. Yeah. I get my light right from the source. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And I see you. Your skin. I wanna wrap my arms around you, baby, never let you go. Hello and welcome to episode 147 of section 138. I'm your host, Mark Colley, as always, joined by my co-host Bryson and Jacob. How are you guys? Well, uh, we're back after uh, another <laughs> disappointing weekend. Uh, I think we're a little bit more calm this time around, but Definitely not an ideal last week here, last week and a bit for the Jays here. So um, it's a little bit frustrating still, but uh, we're going to talk about it again today. Yeah, because last week we declared the Blue Jays done. So at this point, it's like, well, this is kind of what we expected. But how are you, Jacob? I saw Miguel Cabrera hit 500 home runs, so I, or his 500th home run, so I, I'm okay, I guess. But, you know, when, you're, when your team and your some of your best players make some errors and result in a series loss, it's... Very, very saddening, and at this point, I think the Blue Jays are probably done, so keeping my head above water is the best way to put it. And we're still going to enjoy the rest of the year of baseball. We're still going to go to games and cheer for the Blue Jays. Um, It's just we're kind of out on this season and looking already forward to next season, but yeah, there's a couple games in this series that catch the eye of a lot of fans. Of course, the Blue Jays win the middle game on Saturday, and that's pretty much the only good game in this series. You look at Friday's game, they blow it with some late-inning decisions and then giving up a few runs and extras, and then on Sunday's game, they are an out away, a strike away, a good throw away from winning the game and winning the series, and Marcus Simeon throws the ball in the dirt, Flatty can't pick it, Um, the ball bounces away, the Tigers score, they tie the game, we go to the 10th, we go to the 11th, and then the Blue Jays lose it, as is... Pretty much clockwork at this point in extra innings. They have one of the worst extra innings winning percentage in baseball history. I think it's the second worst among teams that are 500 or better behind only the 1933 Yankees. So the Blue Jays have been historically bad in extra innings. And once it goes to extras, you can just predict automatically that the Blue Jays are losing that game. Um, This is how we start every podcast, but the pitchforks are out for Charlie Montoyo again. Um... You look at Friday's game, the decision to bunt um, and pinch hit for, for pinch hit for Alejandro Kirk with Bravik Valera and have Bravik Valera bunt with the guys on base in a 1-1 game. They want to score that extra run, but they don't, and eventually it goes to extras. You have, I think the bullpen management in this series was strong. I don't think many people had qualms or issues with what Charlie Montoyo did. You look at the decision to keep Robbie Ray in through eight innings. Yeah, he gives up that run on the wild pitch in the eighth inning, but look, Robbie Ray was as fantastic as you could ever wish for. You look at the game on Saturday, they won that, so no one's talking about that. And Sunday, like, yeah, maybe you keep Adam Simber in instead of taking him out. Maybe you keep Sacedo in instead of taking him out for Brad Hand, but ultimately... That's a game the Blue Jays should have won and could have won, and in 99% of the circumstances, they would have won that game if it wasn't for that ball thrown away. So where do you guys stand on some of the more contentious issues this weekend with Charlie Montoyo and a lot of things that people have been taking issue with, especially in that uh, Friday game where he decided to pinch hit for Alejandro Kirk and A.J. Hinch, the manager of the Tigers, came out and said, like, once they took the bat out of Alejandro Kirk's hand, we knew that... They were going to be bunting and we would be able to get the out. So what do you guys think about Charlie Montoyo's management this weekend? 
I'm just going to quickly say, because this isn't as big of an issue, I don't blame his bullpen management. You can't blame your bullpen when you score one run in a game. That's just, that's not how it is. You got to score at least two runs, at least three. Like, with an offense as good as you have, to score one run, blaming the bullpen is ridiculous, and blaming the management is even more ridiculous. But, the bunt, I cannot get my head wrapped around why you pinch hit somebody to bunt. Now, let, let me get this straight. Alejandro Kirk knows how to bunt. I mean, the Blue Jays statistically are not very good with bunts, but you have a guy at the plate who is a, he's a major league hitter. He knows what to do. I don't understand why you pinch it, and now you lose your catcher. That's something you got to also remember. You pinch it for your catcher. I'm not saying Reese McGuire is a bad catcher, but if you don't have to lose your catcher, and now you only have one, you don't even have one on the bench, so worst case, something happens to McGuire. Now you got something to deal with. That That's a big problem, but to intentionally, to take the bat out of a good hitter's hand, to bunt for him, just makes absolutely zero sense to me, and I think it was even more concerning because Bravik Valera did bunt with two strikes. Now, it was a successful bunt, but how? I mean, we like how is this allowed, I think, is, is my biggest question because we saw it in the first half of the season, maybe when they were still in Dunedin, but uh, I think it was Santiago Espinal was told to bunt with two strikes and he bunted foul. Blue Jays lost their opportunity, and I, I really don't understand where the logic in bunting with two strikes is because you bunt foul and you're out. You, you, Bo Bichette, he can foul off a hundred pitches in a row and he still has two strikes. Whereas you bunt one pitch foul and not even you know, like the, the odds of probably hitting it fair are pretty low or whatever. The, the, you do that and opportunities out. And it, it that was, I think, a very concerning move for me. I, I don't understand why you bunt with two strikes that I think I'm a little bit more concerned about, but even probably to a similar extent, taking the bat out of somebody's hand in order to bunt. It, it doesn't make sense to me. I'd rather keep guys in the lineup if they don't have to leave. And I'm not saying Bravik Valera couldn't have come in or wouldn't have been you know, a good option, maybe in the 10th or whatever, if the Blue Jays needed him. But I don't see the logic you have. So at that point in the game, you have uh, Alejandro Kirk, after that, you have Randall Gritchick, Dominic Smith, or Kevin Smith, excuse me, and Santiago Espinal. I trust those guys. I mean, Randall Gritchick's kind of in a bit of a rough spot. He's he still hit a couple home runs in the series, but and Kevin Smith is a rookie. It's hard to really predict with him. But Santiago Espinal's hitting almost three hundred. He's having a fantastic offensive season. So what's the point of bunting when the bottom of your lineup is also still pretty good? Now, yes, you can move guys up, and there's no guarantee you're going to hit. But to argue bunting, if you're going to bunt, keep the guy in in the lineup that that is capable of doing it. it. To me, it it's just I really disagree with the with the move. And now you lose two guys. You lose Kirk and you lose Valera because Reese McGuire came in as a defensive replacement, as you you expect him to. Valera's not going to catch. So I, that I think is the is the bigger concern and. I get it. Blue Jays need wins. They're desperate for runs at this point. They had a 0 for 27 streak with runners in scoring position. Times are tough right now. That doesn't mean you that you blow up the drawing board and make a bunch of random decisions like we're going to leave this guy in or we're going to take him out even though he can do what we were going to have the other guy do. It's I really I'm not one I don't think Charlie Montoya is ever going to get fired. I, I don't think that the pitchforks 
should be truly at him because I do agree with a lot of the things he does. But in this situation, even I'm starting to light my, my torch and light, light my pitch fork and say, like, what are you doing? How are you bunting in this situation with two strikes and you take one of your better hitters out of the lineup? Like Alejandro Kirk, Blue Jays had no offensive power from their catchers first half of the season. Now that I would say that their catchers are very good, and it's you know you trust them. Kirk is now hitting in the middle of the lineup. Not even he's, the catching is not a, a guaranteed nine spot. You have good offense coming from somebody. Why are you wasting their at bat? Why are you taking their the uh, the ball out of their hand? Charlie, what are you doing? This the team desperately needs wins, and that is not how you get a win. So I I really that is I think the biggest thing. I'm not too worried about. The, the second two games in the series but if I'm looking at the management this is the one thing that was a, was a serious head scratcher for me and I don't know how this was I don't know how the debriefing went after the game because it was not a good move and it it ended up resulting in a loss yeah uh again <laughs> this has just been you know when this team falls apart or when this team loses or finds ways to lose because they're very good at that as we know uh, I think Mark you were saying they have one of the worst winning percentages what in late inning games and extra innings I think they're two and nine now in extra innings uh, coming off of yesterday or that was entering the weekend something like that I know they've only won two games and extras out of um, those amount of games but yeah I mean when it comes to the bullpen manage management that we saw this weekend I don't really have any issues with it, and I'm going to get to that in a second. But if you want to talk about, if you want to start things off with what Jacob was just talking about with Alejandro Kirk and Bravik Valera, listen, you know, if this team could play small ball, obviously it's you look smart. I mean, it just feels like no matter what year it is with this team, there's always been trouble for them laying down bunts. Like this era of the Blue Jays, the old Blue Jays in 2015, 2016, this team has never really seemed like they can get down the, a bunt. Now, I don't know if it's something that they don't work on. I don't know what the issue is, but you can also make the argument that that's, you know, that's not the way baseball is played right now. And if you want to look at a, a lineup constructed like the Blue Jays lineup, why are you doing that? Especially when Alejandro Kirk is batting six for you. Mark, we were talking about, I think you were the one that mentioned it last month. You were the first one out of both of us to say Alejandro Kirk should be hitting in the middle of the order and not ninth. So he's recently moved to the sixth spot. He's been playing in the middle of the order and you take him out uh, for Bravik Valera, and I think it was the worst kept secret in terms of what Bravik Valera came in the game to do. I remember I was at the game, unfortunately, for that collapse, and I remember right when he was coming in, I remember a couple people behind me were like wondering why and everything, and I remember we were having a conversation about, you know, I'm tell I was telling them he's coming in to bunt, and they looked at me like I was crazy, and then of course, what do you know? He's coming in to bunt, even with two strikes, um, even the first baseman on Detroit. I can't. I think I can't remember who it was, but he was halfway down the line. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw that from the TV or if they showed it, but when yeah, you were I at the game, a, I think that was Jonathan Scope. It was Scope. Okay, yeah. Scope well, he could have been in the batter's box at that point. Oh, ex yeah. yeah. He could have laid down the bunt. Yeah, it, it was just it was the worst kept secret. And Bravik Valera obviously doesn't get the job done. And then, of course, when you look at it even more, you know, is Charlie Montoya overthinking it? Probably it is. And that is where the problem comes. That is where people are upset with him for. I personally did not agree with the decision either. However, I'm not going to come out and, you know, lose my, you know, l lose it on him. I, I think, um, again, if this team knew how to bunt, it wouldn't be an issue, but they don't know how to bunt. That's not the way baseball is usually played as much anymore, especially in the American League, which is why it looks, 
doesn't look this the brightest idea. It doesn't look like it's the brightest idea. Uh, pinch hitting Alejandro Kirk, who's what I think it's three for his last eight over the last seven days. He's been one of the hottest hitters on the team. He has an OPS of 900. He got a couple RBIs in that span, so he's been getting on base as well. Um, his last four games, and he's been one of the people that have been leading the way quietly. Uh, besides someone like Marcus Simeon, uh, Teoscar Hernandez. So that is why obviously it doesn't you know wasn't very smart of him to do that. And ultimately it kind of lost a a chance for the Blue Jays to take advantage of some opportunities later on in the game. But uh, when you want to look at it, I guess throughout the entire weekend now, you know, you, you can't blame Charlie Montoyo for everything. Okay. We, we talked about this, we're a broken record with this, but actually in this case, I'm not blaming him at all in terms of the bullpen. So this, this is kind of something a little bit new because usually we're blaming them about the bullpen, but you guys know the numbers. Uh, I'm going to say them again. And when you add everything up in terms of this weekend, it's ugly. So here we go. Friday uh, with runners in scoring position. 0 for 12. Okay. 0 for 12. Saturday, they win 3 nothing. 0 for 2 with runners in scoring position. And I think this is the one that gets me the most in terms of what happened yesterday on the Sunday. 1 for 17 with runners in scoring position. 1 for 17. I mean, you, you look at the way this lineup is on paper. How is that possible for a team like that? I don't know what it is. The situational hitting on this team um, this weekend was pathetic, and that's to say it at the nicest way possible. It just it's unacceptable for a team who is supposed to be making the playoffs, who is supposed to be in contention, who is supposed to beat a team like Detroit, who is supposed to beat a team like uh, Seattle, who is supposed to beat a team like Washington. I mean, I can keep going. I can even go before that and talk about the Angels series. Uh, that can't happen. And then when you add it up all throughout the weekend, I believe that's one for thirty-one with runners in scoring position. They didn't execute Friday. They didn't execute uh, Saturday, even though that was the best game of the series. And yesterday they had so many chances to win or to just get runs and they couldn't do it. I mean, you know, they, they had everything in front of them. And, you know, when you look at it like that, they don't deserve to win at all. They have, it's just, it's frustrating because they can get on base. They can. But when you have runners on, it's like no matter who it is on this lineup, maybe other than George Springer, who was obviously destroying the ball and someone like Teoscar Hernandez who was destroying the ball on the recent road trip other than you know a few people and it's pretty much the entire lineup at this point uh, especially this past weekend they couldn't get anything done when there was a runner on base it's just like they completely lose their way and their their play discipline just anything about that they completely disappear from that and I don't know how you blame Charlie Montoyo for that and right after Marcus Simeon did that in terms of or, or the error on the Sunday I think all of us knew that the longer this game went you know, we, we knew what was going to happen, and of course, um, it did happen in terms of the bullpen. As you keep going deeper in that bullpen, unfortunately, um, you're leaving the Tigers in it, and they, they they were the ones that took advantage earlier in the 11th inning. So, you know, you can't get mad at Charlie Montoyo for going throughout pretty much burning his entire bullpen in a game like yesterday. Somebody, um, you know, a few guys did the job. You know, Brad Hand, as much as he gave up a run, I can't ask for anything more out of him this year in terms of... Um, just escaping it with one run from the runner on second base. He did his job. And then, of course, in the 11th, Kirby Sneed comes in. He gives up two earned runs. And that was pretty much the end of it from there. So, I mean, it's just it's unfortunate because when you look at it again, especially the Friday game that I got to witness as well, seeing someone like Robbie Ray, who's, what, leading the American League now in ERA, pitch like he did, eight innings, five hits, one earned run, 11 strikeouts. It's just wasting an outing like that. How is that? It just it doesn't make sense wasting an outing like that. And it's funny, too, at the game, you knew he was going eight innings in terms of his pitch count. It was low. He could have done it. We know that there's only really one reliever on this team that the Jays can trust, and that's Jordan Romano. 
And that's exactly what happened. And he came in right after Robbie Ray, but unfortunately the game was tied and they had to go to Trevor Richards in extra innings. And that's how they, it imploded from there. So, I mean, that's the, it's the story of the way the season's gone. You have one reliever you can trust. The deeper you go in games like this, which is why their record is so bad, you know that they're going to lose because of how, or the lack of depth this bullpen has. They're missing a lot of guys. There's a lot of guys they need. Less someone like Joaquin Soria, who they traded for. Nate Pearson they need. Ross Stripling, I believe, is on his way back as a reliever. So many guys that you're missing, and that's what happens. And I don't know how you you blame Charlie Montoyo as well for the offense going one for 31 in three days with runners in scoring position. So as much as that um, mistake on Friday maybe cost of the team, or you can maybe point fingers at Charlie Montoyo. You know, what about earlier in the game when they left four, seven runners on base? And then, of course, in the game on Sunday when you leave 14 runners on base. So many situations or so many opportunities before they got to that point, the Jays didn't execute. And that's why I don't blame Charlie Montoyo for this weekend. I blame the offense. And it's pretty uh, simple in terms of the numbers of why they lost two out of three to the Tigers this weekend. Yeah, and these aren't just like bad numbers for the Blue Jays. Like going one for 31 over a weekend series, those are numbers that we haven't seen in Major League Baseball for a couple of years. The last time a team went had one or fewer hits with 30-plus at-bats with runners in scoring position in a series was July 19th to 21st, 2019. It was the Tigers who did that against the Blue Jays in July of 2019. So it's been more than two years since we've seen a team do this worse this bad with runners in scoring position over the course of a series. And the 2019 Tigers team was not a good team. Like, they were a very bad team. And we look at the Tigers this year, like, they're not a bad team this year. They've put up good numbers since the start of May. But, man, oh, man, you look at the numbers for the Blue Jays with runners in scoring position this series, and it's just laughable. And I don't know if it's an approach problem. I don't know if it's just luck. But at this point, I think what we saw in the Washington series as well with troubles with runners in scoring position, we saw some in Seattle and Los Angeles. Um, I think it is a problem with approach. I think it's guys at the plate trying to do too much. And as soon as this slump starts, you have guys trying to you know take big swings, end it all with one swing, and, and get back on the board and put yourself back in the game with one swing. And I think that evolves into getting out of your approach and swinging out of your shoes and swinging at bad pitches and getting into bad counts. And I think it just snowballs into what we're seeing right now where the Blue Jays go one for 31 with runners in scoring position. To have one hit with a guy on second or third base in the entire series. I don't know how you blame Charlie Montoya for that, unless you want him to get off the bench, pick up a bat, and go up to bat himself. Like, you can't blame him for that. And yes, like, I think what we've seen this season is that he does have a problem with in-game decisions. Like, he shouldn't have pinch-hitted for Alejandro Kirk. Like, yeah, maybe you want to bunt in that situation. If your team goes, what was it, 0 for 12 over that entire game, with runners in scoring position, and you ground into four double plays, yeah, maybe you want to bunt in that situation. But don't take Alejandro Kirk out of the game, I think. You keep Bra- you keep Bravik Valera on the bench, keep Alejandro Kirk in the game, have him try to bunt away the two p- first two pitches. If he doesn't get to it, you're 0-2, have him swing away. I think that's the approach to take in that situation. So yes, Charlie Montoyo makes some mistakes with in-game decisions and maybe his rationale is flawed and his philosophy is flawed when it comes to in-game decisions and I think that's a conversation that has to be had over the offseason and into next year about how they can improve these late inning situations these bullpen decisions whether it's actually him making those decisions whether it's a front office making those decisions a high performance department something has to change when it comes to on-field decisions 
But that's not to blame for this weekend's loss. You can blame some losses this year on Charlie Montoyo and the decisions that have been made. But this is not one of those series. It's the fact that they went 1-for-31 with runners in scoring position. They grounded into four double plays on Friday. I don't even know how many double plays they grounded into on Saturday and Sunday, including that one in the later innings on Sunday when they had a golden opportunity to score. And I think it was Vladimir Guerrero Jr. grounded into a double play. So something's got to change with the approach of this team and what they're doing with runners in scoring position because... It's unsustainable. You can't have a team trying to compete and go one for 31 over a series. It's just ridiculous numbers. Um, I don't know how you guys think they can solve this problem. To me, I think it's just like, I, I think it is an approach thing. Once once you start struggling, it's going to snowball and guys like, not to name names, but Teoscar Hernandez, Vlad, you're going to try to do too much at the plate and take big swings and try to end it all with one swing. I think that's going to snowball into what we're seeing right now with the horrible approaches we're seeing. So, it's just ridiculous. And you can't blame Charlie Montoya for that, even if he did make mistakes in Friday night's game. See, the the other issue, and like, the offense, it's definitely, I mean, I, we don't, I, you don't need me to say this, but they're struggling. Uh, it's obvious. Way too many double plays. A lot of inning-ending double plays. Regardless if it's inning-ending or not, double play deflates the entire potential of a, going on a run or scoring anything. But Teoscar Hernandez, we talk about how good of a road trip he had, 0 for 11 in the three games against the Tigers. And, you know, I mean, now you have Vladimir Guerrero Jr. struggling, doing a little bit better, not still not as good. But now you have another big guy that's took the 0 for in the entire series. You're without George Springer. I think, and this is maybe too pessimistic, but I don't think that necessarily anything's going to change with the lack of offensive production until probably Springer comes back, whether he even comes back or not. Like, that's, you know, that's a big if, and I hate to say that, but, I mean, you look at it, and the team just feels deflated, I feel, at this point. And even in the in the field, a couple sloppy plays, you know, the in the game with Alejandro Kirk, if I'm scoring that play, it's a pass ball. It's not a wild pitch. If you're, you hear, I think it was Buck Martinez or uh, Joe Siddle, a lot of these former major leaguers were saying, all these catchers that go on one knee, you can't properly block those balls that are in the dirt. And that was one, if you're on your knees, you, I mean, you can't really see it because uh, I don't have a camera there on my knees, but if you ever do like what hockey goalies do, they go in like the butterfly almost, you can, you can block that. And that was a ball. It bounced just below his glove. Easily could have caught that. And game could have been over at the end of nine. Blue Jays could have won one to nothing. Not an exciting game, you know, not a lot of runs, but you at least win that. And then Marcus Simeon, again, that was a play. I don't blame Guerrero on that that inability to catch it at all. I think if you're Guerrero, you're sitting there, you're anticipating a higher throw. You're not anticipating something where you're going to have to stretch or you're going to have to to scoop it. it. This team, I think it's it looks deflated, and you're seeing it on all aspects of the field. You know, the offense, except for the, the starting pitching, I think that's still been pretty good. And in this series, you know, Robbie Ray, eight, eight innings, one run. Hyunjin Ryu, zero earned run over five or over seven, excuse me. And then Steven Matz, six innings, one run. Like the, the, the pitching has done its job. And I mean, to an extent, the bullpen has too. It, it's not been great. But at the same time, the Blue Jays have kind of put them in bad situations. But, you know, you look at these position players and I, it, they do look as if, what's the point? You know, we're not winning. We're, we're struggling against bad teams. Our good guys are out of the lineup. You know, they're injured. It's tough. I do think that this is a little bit of a 
a snowball of the last couple of weeks where everything has just kind of gone wrong for him. And hopefully things can turn around. I mean, you got a good series against the White Sox. Probably going to lose that series, but maybe that's still going to fire them up, get them a little energized for September, hopefully, maybe. But, you know, this it's one where I don't even know if there's an answer on how to turn things around other than they just have to do it because it's not one fix. You know, it's not you players do this better or managers do this better. I think it's just a, this is an accumulation of a lot of issues over the last couple months of guys struggling, guys going on the IL. And now the teams, you know, they haven't made any changes in the standing, still a four and a half back of the wild card. That's where they were, I think, going into the, the road trip in, in L.A., Nothing's changed. Something has to change if they want to make the playoffs. But now they're at the point where this is probably the beginning of the end for them, I guess, is the best way to put it, where nothing's going right for them. I still hope it's a fun end to the season. You know, you never want to see guys lose and whatnot. But it's one where other if guys just if there isn't just a miraculous turnaround, I think that this is really kind of how the team is going to end up finishing. Well, I mean, in terms of the, <clears throat> sorry, in terms of that, in terms of where they sit in the standings, uh, it definitely could have been a lot worse. And I think the Jays got a little bit lucky in how Boston and Oakland lost some games this weekend because if they didn't lose any games, they could easily be six or seven games back right now, and then that would obviously be a complete for sure write off. I know there's still optimism from some people, but I mean, what reason have they given you to? to believe anyhow or to believe any other different. I mean, this situation or this situational hitting with runners in scoring position the last 10 days, it's been going on the last 10 days and it's been an issue. They've gone, Oh, or sorry, they've gone six for 68 with runners in scoring position since August 13th, which is an average of 0.8 or sorry, 088. That's insane in terms of the last 10 days. And yeah, these are like historically bad numbers from what Mark was talking about beforehand. I mean, I don't know how you get out of it. I mean, I don't know how much worse it gets from here. You have to assume the bats that they have that it's not sustainable long-term, but for these last 10 days, it's definitely come in the worst time possible uh, for this to happen. So lots of things going on. Um, I mean, maybe George Springer going down was that big of a, you know, a deflation of the, if that's what you're calling it to Jacob, how this team looks deflated. If that was a, if that was really that important for him to go down like that and the offense to completely lose their way like that, that then I really don't know because it's just been frustrating. It's been constant strikeouts, constant double plays. Like I said, anytime somebody gets on base, it's the the hitters for for some reason completely change. It's like they their approach completely changes and they completely lose any sort of discipline that they have because they can get on base and we can pretty much the numbers prove that in terms of all the people that they left on base this weekend and uh, the runners in scoring position. So there's lots going on with that. Um, I know people still talk about what happened with Kirk on Friday. And, you know, if uh, the only thing I'll talk about that is, is we know Alejandro Kirk, we know what he brings to the table in terms of him offensively. And when he, or when he's behind the plate defensively. So, you know, can you imagine too, if any sort of, uh, scenario down the stretch. If you're in the play, if what if that happens? If you're in the playoffs and that ha- and that happens, I mean, it's a one run game, and that happens in a postseason situation. Um, you know, there's something that I think the Jays have to kind of address with the catchers this winter because of that. I think they need more defense. I know Danny Jansen kind of brings that, but you know, they they definitely. Uh, have something that they're going to have to figure out this winter with with all the catches that they have because the d- defensively 
uh, it's frustrating to see a pass ball like that. I mean, or a wild pitch like that. I do agree with you, Jacob. I think it could have been an, or it should have been a pass ball. I think, it, you know, a good defensive catcher would have had that ball on Friday. And that's what makes it frustrating too. You have Robbie Ray going eight innings. You waste it. Hunjin Ryu on Saturday. They took advantage of that. He has a good bounce back outing um, from what we saw the last time out when he was in Seattle. And then somebody who's been very quietly improving, and we haven't really spoken about him much with Steven Matz. I mean, over the last, I think, um, what was it? His last two starts, I believe, or last three starts, an ERA of 172. And he's really kind of uh, figuring things out and putting things together. And even his last five starts, an ERA of 252. He's quietly been improving. Um, I know he's probably going to finish out the year as the fifth starter as well. We spoke about that since Ross Stripling is likely going to come back as a reliever. You waste that as well. Steven Matz, who's been up and down this season, he has a really good start. He's been hot the last couple of starts. You waste it from that, and you you lose another game like that. It's not, you know, the starting pitching was a weakness heading into the season, and all of a sudden, suddenly it's the strongest suit and it's the strongest thing on this team right now. So the hitting, I think, will eventually get there again. I just, the, the problem that I have with it in terms of it being historically bad with the runners in scoring position, the people being left on bases, it comes at the worst time possible. It comes right after, you know, you you make ground in the standings. You bec- I, think it, I think the Jays got within two games, or two and a half games at one point. I think it was even better, Jacob, entering that Angel series. It was better than four and a half games. They were there. They were right there. They're still on the outside looking in. They still have four teams to catch the Yankees seem to you know completely they've taken off and they keep winning games Boston and Oakland like like I was mentioning on the last podcast or the last episode those I think that's your only hope right now uh to catch them the Jays got lucky that they lost a couple games this weekend as well so you're still in it kind of mathematically you are but I've got no reason to believe right now that they're going to go on a run look what you have this week you have the White Sox for four games I mean after losing this series to the Tigers don't you guys agree? Like you have to take at least three out of four, like three out of four or sweep, like to, for you to completely be back in and, you know, buying back into the chance, the, the, the chances they have of maybe catching that wild card spot. Cause that's what I think. I mean, I think if they're lucky, they're going to split the series, but I don't think that's going to be enough. I think they have to do better. And what you're asking this team to do against the Chicago White Sox, who are, who are 72 and 53, that's going to be tough to do. You couldn't do it against the Mariners. You couldn't do it against the Angels. You couldn't do it against the Nationals. You couldn't do it against the Tigers. I mean, maybe they completely changed their ways this series, but I've got no reason to believe that. And if anything, I'm scared for this series coming up. Yeah, it's kind of a miracle that the Blue Jays have only lost a handful of games given in the standings, given how many games they've actually lost. Like, If you go back to August 9th, which was the day before the LA series started, the Blue Jays were or uh, August 10th, the first day of the LA series, they were two and a half games back in the standings of the second wildcard spot. They were a half game back in the New York Yankees. And you look at where they are now, four and a half games back of the wildcard spot. So they lose two games in the wildcard spot. Still remarkable if you look at their last 10 games or three and seven in their last 10 games. But you look at where they are now compared to New York, they're seven games back in New York. So they go from a half game to seven games back in the span of what, 13 days on New York. So that even if the the true wild card picture doesn't give you a sense of how far they've fallen, the distance between them and New York, it's like alternate realities. The Blue Jays path, they forked at the LA series and they could have been doing what the Yankees are doing right now. If they hadn't gotten cold, if they hadn't lost George Springer, if all these things had gone right, instead we took the other path and right now, seven games back to the New York Yankees. Um yeah, I mean, it's not impossible. Four and a half games back, it's just very, very unlikely without George Springer. 
Um, and you mentioned the one knee thing, Jacob. I know this was a huge thing over the weekend. Of course, Buck Martinez, he hates it. Everyone knows he hates it. He's gone off on it many a time. Uh, Joe Siddle, I think he's not as against it, but he also was against it. I think like it's a fine thing for catchers to do. Like It helps him, obviously, or else he wouldn't be doing this. It helps him frame pitches. It helps him um, reduce the wear and tear on their body over 162. But in this situation, with the tying run 90 feet away, you got to be up on two legs. <laughs> you got to be on two knees and be ready to block that wild pitch or that pass ball. As I think it, like, even if technically it's a wild pitch, that is Alejandro Kirk's fault. So we can call it a pass ball if we want, but you got to be on two knees to catch that ball and to block that ball. And we saw the same thing, you know, in yesterday's game on Sunday, there was the exact same thing. I think Alejandro Kirk, for some pitches, I don't know if it was depending on what pitches he was calling or if he was just alternating pitches so the hitter or the the base runners wouldn't get an idea of what pitches are coming but he was for some pitches he was on two knees and for some pitches he was down to one knee and that was with the runner on third base so I don't know what was going on there whether there was some sort of directive from Blue Jays coaching staff to stop doing the one knee thing for part of the time if it depended on the pitches he was throwing I'm not sure but yeah that's something that it has to be situational. You have to understand that in a one-run ball game with a runner 90 feet away, you lose the game or you tie the game if you allow that pass ball. You have to do everything. I don't care if you have to if you lose a stolen strike, if you have to get a ball here or there. Like the pass ball is way more important in that situation. So it has to be a situational thing. I'm not against the one knee thing all the time. It obviously helps guys, but it has to be the type of thing where you use your brain and realize this is not the right time to be trying to steal a strike. There are far more important things going on in the ballgame right now. Um, so don't hold that against Alejandro Kirk. I'm sure it's a directive from the coaching staff. But again, with these on-field decisions, there has to be some situational thinking here. And like, I don't blame Charlie Montoyo entirely for these. I know these are decisions made by the coaching staff and the front office and not all of them. Like, I've said before, if you if you have a good team, you're going to look like a good manager, but there has to be some type of situational thinking here and adaptiveness to the types of situations you're facing, especially late in ballgames. I, I just want to ask you guys quick, uh, because of these, I guess, scenarios and all of these, like, the amount of times we've spoken about Charlie Montoyo this season alone with the bullpen with this, this past weekend, like, do you guys think his chances of coming back next year, like, are slowly deteriorate or going down or do you think he's still back 100% like does this change any of you what you guys think about him being back at all next year um okay so I have two schools of thought on this (laughs) (laughs) I think like we've said before his off field management his management in the clubhouse is unparalleled across major league baseball I don't think there's a single manager who is better at keeping people in check in the clubhouse, keeping spirits up when the team is losing, keeping people keeping people optimistic and positive in a tight-knit group. I don't think there's anyone better at doing that across Major League Baseball. That being said, there's obviously problems on the field, and I know we've been ones to defend Charlie Montoya over the course of the year. There are problems with the on-field decisions, whether that's Montoya, whether that's the front office, whether that's the coaching staff, the high-performance department. Something has to change when it comes to on-field decisions. I think that's something that you can change within the person. I don't think you have to fire Charlie Montoya and replace him with John Schneider or whoever you want to replace him with 
to get correct on-field decisions. I I think the risk of firing Charlie Montoyo and getting someone who manages the on-field decisions correctly but screws up the clubhouse side of things, I think that's a very high risk. And I'm fine with keeping Charlie Montoyo and attempting to fix those problems, you know, having him sit down in the offseason and have that hard conversation of, look, you got to stop punting with two strikes. You got to stop putting Rafael Dolis into these one-run situations. Like, having those hard conversations, I think you can fix the decisions within the man himself. I don't think you have to fire him, and I think you can keep the positives of the on-field, st- of the off-field stuff, of the clubhouse stuff, while fixing the on-field stuff. I think it's much harder if you had someone who knew the on-field stuff and was bad at the clubhouse stuff to fix the clubhouse stuff. I think I, I would much prefer the opposite. So that's why I'm, I'm still standing behind Charlie Montoyo. still want him to be the manager, and I still think he can be the long-term manager of this club. I just think there has to be adjustments made, and you have to sit down with him and say, this isn't sustainable. we got to fix this long-term. Yeah, I don't think... I don't think he's fired this offseason. I think he will return next season. However, I think there's going to be a lot of conversations and a lot of discussions, a lot of analytic looking back on things. There's going to be a time. Like he might as well clock in every single day. Something needs to change, and I think that there is going to be a lot of stuff going on with everybody. It's probably going to be a whole organization thing, some with the players, some not. But Charlie Montoyo, I do think he is going to be on the hot seat for this offseason. There's a lot that needs to be changed. You, know, you you mentioned the whole you know putting in the wrong reliever, bunting with two strikes. I don't care who like I don't care if you literally have a robot that has a hundred percent accuracy. You don't you do not bunt with two strikes. I I don't care if you bring Mike Trout in, best baseball player in the world. You do not do that. Those things need to be changed, and I do think that Charlie Montoyo is gonna have to he's gonna have to fix them. I think if they're not fixed by next season, he's not returning for 2023. And the reason why I'm saying that is because he came here in 2019. It was a very different group. Yes, prospects came up that are still here today. And 2020 was a bit of a weird season. It was kind of like his first semi-competitive season with the the team, but it was only 60 games. This is his first full 162-game season with this era of Blue Jays, if that makes sense, with the guys that you're expecting to win with didn't really go the way he planned or the the way that any fans expected it to but I I give him one more season with this current group to see if he can truly manage it because I like what you guys said he he rallies behind this group he's with them and I don't think that you can easily replace that and when you look at John Gibbons I think he was kind of similar I mean I, I know a lot of people liked him although there were some debates you know with Donaldson and whatnot that it was up and down, but I do think that Charlie yeah, and, Montoyo is... And in his first in as manager, there's obviously that mm-hmm. famous altercation with them going down into the dugout tunnel and anyways. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's yeah. some problems with John Gibbons as yeah. a manager. He, yeah, but the thing, Montoyo is tenfold better than him, I think, in the clubhouse. I don't think you replace that easily. And if you do, it's... You know, I, I don't know how you do that. It'll be ridiculously difficult... Are there better managers on the field? Yes. But what cost does that does that come at? And I would say give it a year. Wait till probably this time next year, maybe a little bit later in the offseason of 2021 or 2022. And then that's when you make some type of decision. And 
th- that's I think the, the best way to put it. He's not gone this season. He's or he's going to return next season. He's not going to be fired. But something's going to have to change because you can't give up games. You can't have guys signed for thirty million dollars, expecting to win the World Series or make it into the playoffs and not do that. So. I'm still going to stand behind him. I do. There's a lot of things that I do defend him on that a lot of people ill-advisedly blame him for, and I will blame him if there's there's problems. But no, it's as for right now, this season, Charlie Montoya is your manager. He'll be your manager next season. Buddy will be on the hot seat. I I do think that is an accurate statement. There's going to be a lot of stuff debated and and worked through this this off season. So. Montoya, I mean, I hate to say this, but he's got a lot of stuff to prove next season. Your second full season with the current group, fourth season with the Blue Jays. You know, eventually these rookie manager mistakes got to change; they got to be fixed. I'm giving it. I'm I'm saying next season is probably the the last straw for him, and I still think it'll go well. I hope it goes well, but yeah, this season I think his job is still it's still secured for next year. Yeah, I mean, I think I think so too. I'd be shocked, but you know if these mistakes go into 2022 you know that I think another question that will eventually come or eventually that we'll ask is if he's going to last the year next year because I think that's a completely different story but that's way uh you know that's ways away from even being discussed so I mean look yes he does have problems in terms of game time or situational you know just decisions during the game and Mark I think you nailed it perfectly for that but at the same time you know I think I think what we know from him is I think he overthinks it a lot because, you know, when you look at it now, we know the bullpen stuff. We, we talked about that a lot. But even with the offense just going cold and pro- probably leading to or, you know, leaning towards the decision of doing what he did with Bravik Valera coming in for Alejandro Kirk, I think the biggest slap in the face was when A.J. Hinch, uh, Mark, you mentioned it, when he came out and said, yeah, we knew exactly what they were doing right after Valera came in the game. I, I just like, I'm like, I just like, why? Like, I just, it feels, it makes... It just makes me feel like, uh, like just angry about that, knowing that like you do something that's so predictable and then it completely fails. I mean, like that's that's what gets me mad about it. But look, the offense has been cold. I, that's the reason for this weekend. That's what I blame him for. Yes, Marcus Simeon made that mistake uh, yesterday. But look again, he's been one of the best players on this team. Uh, he gets a pass, and unfortunately, later in games too. I mean, he can't. You know, you can't blame Marcus Simeon for or, you know, solely on him for for the bats being cold in later innings or the team just being bad in general later innings. You know, the the deeper the, the game goes in terms of the bullpen as well, the Jays just don't win games, and you can't blame all that on him. And I think that's why we aren't even going to blame him or talk about him, give him a pass for what happened this weekend. It's just, unfortunately, it just nails it more in terms of why this team is where they are. And you have a four-game series with the White Sox. You have Lance Lynn tonight. You have uh, Dylan Cease on Tuesday. And then you have Giolito on Wednesday. And then, you know, just that White Sox rotation. It's going to be tough. Um, I have no, you know, baseball could be a very, very interesting sport. Who knows if this these, last, these next four games, uh, the Jays' offense completely jumps out and attacks the White Sox and gets to these guys. I'd be shocked which is why I'm very scared for this series because they couldn't do it against the other teams that uh, that I mentioned before these last couple of weeks. So I've got no reason to believe that they will, but never say never. And, you know, I mean, if you take three out of four, I think that's what you need to take now after what you saw this weekend. And that's not even likely to happen either. That's pretty much the only way I can come in and, you know, buy back in in terms of this team 
having any shot at getting that second wildcard spot. Yeah. And I mean, Jacob, you mentioned this, but they just look so deflated. Yeah. Like, I don't think there's been a single time this season. Like, yeah, there's been frustration in the dugout. You look back, the the one moment that stands out to me is that series against Boston in June where they lose a couple games and Vladdy is in the dugout. He's just sitting there staring at the field for 30 seconds after the game. They've been deflated before, but I feel like there's always been a sense of they come out the next day, they're the same people that they were at the beginning of the previous day's game. They got the same energy, the same optimism, the same hope for a win. And I think at this point, what we're seeing is that it feels like it's inevitable that they're going to lose some of these games. And when, especially when you get into the later innings, it's inevitable. And the players are feeling that the players are deflated and the players are not as optimistic as they were at the start of the season. So I think that's the one thing that maybe out of all this gives me the least hope for this team is that however slim the chances might be, and certainly Boston and Oakland are doing their best to keep the Blue Jays in this. They like If it was not for them, they would be so far out of it right now. And there's still a very slim possibility of this happening. But after you see the 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 attitude of this team, and I think that's not to knock them, like, They've been so optimistic all year through all the thick and thin that like I don't blame them for being human and you know getting down on themselves in a week such as this where they go 3 and 7 and 1 and 5 against teams below 500 a combined I think 22 games below 500 for the Tigers and the Nationals. So I don't blame them. It's just I think it's something new that we're seeing with this team and not totally what I expected from them because of such optimism that we've seen earlier this season. Um, one thing to mention before we do wrap it up, uh, the Blue Jays have announced that they're going to be requiring proof of vaccination or a negative test for fans to attend games um, for their final 12 games of the homestand. So I think that's like September 16th or something. It's the last couple games there that they play at home. So that's something new for the Blue Jays. We've seen other teams around Toronto doing it, all the MLSE teams, the Maple Leafs, the Raptors, the Argos, they're all doing it. So um, TFC as well is doing it. So nothing new there, just something that was kind of expected eventually. And it's only going to be for a few games for the Jays, but it's good to see them put public health um, at the forefront. And maybe we see capacity upgrades as well along with that, which would be awesome to see, um, you know, more than 15,000 fans in the building for some of these games. Although we know how much energy those fans bring. Um, anything you guys want to mention before we wrap up? Playoff standings are getting slim boys. Let's rally together i don't i'm not much of a hype man but let's you know let's let's get hyped up because i want to see october (laughs) baseball i I need i I need something to watch beside those leafs so if that's motivation for this team then please uh, let's let's hope four games you need to take three out of four that's asking a lot uh us three we will be at the game tuesday so that'll be exciting just the one thing i pray for because i'm also going to the game today or on the Monday game. But the one thing I pray for, for the game we're all at, no bullpen blowing it, no, you know, <laughs> bunting miscues, just properly win the game because I, I, I just can't imagine us three at the same time reacting to something like that on Tuesday night. <laughs> I've seen enough bullpen mismanagement for You've a lifetime. You've seen enough this year, yeah. In person, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Especially that Boston series. So. Oh, man. Um, okay. Well, yeah, I keep mentioning that Boston series. I feel like it was traumatic to see those games in person after everything that they went through that series. Anyways, we will wrap this podcast up there. We are looking forward to this series against Chicago, even though it's probably going to be tough. I think if you're 
betting on the Blue Jays here, I would say they go one and three in this four game set. Just being honest, if you lose two or three to Detroit, you get swept by the Washington Nationals of all teams. The White Sox are a really good team. So I don't know. I don't have high hopes for this series. I'm excited though. You get to see, we saw the fireworks earlier this year when the Blue Jays played the White Sox. They're a good team. The Jays are on paper, in theory, a good team too. So excited to see how things shake out with this series. And all the games should be close. They all should be exciting. We know that's guaranteed for Blue Jay baseball, even if they end up losing all the close games. The games are going to be close, but we're looking forward to them. Um, Okay, so we'll wrap it up there. You can rate and review our podcast, as always, on Apple Podcasts. Just helps spread the word about what we're doing. You can support our podcast on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash section 138 pod. If you watch our episodes on YouTube, you can check out the audio only version um, on all your favorite podcast listening devices. If you listen to the podcast, you can check out our video version on YouTube. Um, We'll wrap it up there, but looking forward to this series and excited to see what it holds. And hopefully we are a little bit more optimistic next time though, but we'll see you then. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I got my peaches out in Georgia. Oh yeah, I get my weed from California.